Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. I think, brethren, when we watch news, often you'll see this um, banner that says breaking news. And, and people will pay attention more because it seems like something has just happened that they're reporting on, and so we want to get the fresh news. But really, all news should be fresh news. That's what news means. It's from the Latin meaning new things, and they just shortened it to news. The gospel is breaking news. It's good news. And as I begin, I want to ask you this question, and just it's a rhetorical question. I'd like you to answer it in your mind. If I don't know anything about the Bible, and I come to you and I ask you, What is the gospel? How would you answer that question? What is the gospel? Not a gospel, but the gospel. What is the gospel? We know that in Greek, it's the word euangelion, and it does mean glad tidings. It means good news. I actually want to go to the Old Testament, and I want us to look at a passage in the Old Testament as the framework for understanding the gospel. So let's see a passage in the Old Testament that's going to give us an understanding of what good news is. And that passage is in 2 Samuel 18. 2 Samuel 18. It's not a passage that we would normally think of when we think of the gospel. But I I would like to use it as a framework for understanding the gospel. At this time in Israel, David's son Absalom had risen up against him, was trying to overthrow him. There was a battle, and Absalom and his armies were defeated. If we cut in at verse 19, then said Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. So Zadok was a faithful priest in Israel, and Ahimaaz was his son following the footsteps of his father, faithful in the Lord. And when this news of the conquest of David's army against Absalom's army, after this conquest, this faithful son of of Zadok, or Zadok, says, let me now run and bear the king tidings. So tidings means uh, an announcement of an event. So something has happened. Let me be the one to run to the king and give him this this news update. How the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. The rebellion is over. Let me run and give the good news to the king. And Joab said unto him, You shall not bear tidings today, but you shall bear tidings another day. So don't take the news today. You can take it another day. But today you shall bear no tidings because the king's son is dead. So this, the king was very concerned about his son Absalom, wanted them to defeat his enemies, but he, he didn't want his son Absalom to be killed. But Absalom was killed, and so Joab says to Ahimaaz, no, don't go today. Then said Joab to Cushi, so he turns to Cushi, go tell the king what you have seen. And Cushi bowed himself unto Joab and ran. So for some reason, 
uh, it wasn't a good idea for Ahimaaz to go, but Joab authorized Cushi that Cushi could go. So Cushi bowed himself to, to Joab, the general, and he ran to give news. Then said Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab, But howsoever, let me, I beg you, also run after Cushi. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you have no tidings today? So Cushi's gone with the tidings. You don't have anything else different that you can bring. But howsoever, said he, let me run. And he said unto him, run. So some time has passed now. Cushi's well on his way. He's going to bring the news to the king. And still Ahimaaz is saying, please, please, please. This is such good news. Let me also run to inform the king. And he said unto him, run. You know when somebody just pesters you so much, you say, okay, go ahead, run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and overran Cushi. So this is how important the news was to the son of Zadok to give to the king, that maybe he figured out a shortcut, and certainly he ran with, with zeal. It wasn't just an errand. It, his heart was full of this, and he wanted to bring it to the king, that he overran Cushi. And David sat between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate unto the wall. So it's a time of battle, and you have the watchman watching. And the watchman lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running alone. And the watchman cried and told the king, so someone's approaching the castle. That's the, the watchman's job is to say, someone's coming. So he cried and he told the king, and the king said, if he be alone, there is news in his mouth. So if he's running, but he's not with every, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a siege, he's by himself. So he's running to bring us news. And he came apace and drew near. And the watchman saw another man running. So remember, Ahimaaz overran Cushi. So the watchman, so Cushi left long, he had a long, he had a good head start. But Ahimaaz was so full of joy, ran with such zeal, figured out a faster way, that he actually was seen first. And a little while after that, then the watchman saw Cushi. And the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called unto the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings tidings. So tidings again, an announcement of an event. And the watchman said, I think the running of the first one is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man. And he comes with good news. So if he's running with excitement, if it's him, it's good news. And Ahimaaz called and said unto the king, all is well. So he, he begins his announcement with all is well. This is good news. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, blessed be the Lord your God, which has delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my Lord, the king. Good news. And the king said, is the young man Absalom safe? So this is the king's concern, that his son would, would escape harm in the battle. And Ahimaaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and me your servant, so that's interesting that the king has, well, I guess uh, Cushy would be referred to as the king's servant, and then I'm your servant. I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. So I, did, I don't know if he's alive. 
And the king said unto him, turn aside and stand here. So all of this conversation has happened, and Cushy still hasn't arrived, when Cushy had a good head start. So it just shows you how much zeal uh, Ahimaaz had in, in bringing this news to the king. The king said to him, turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. And behold, Cushy came. And Cushy said, tidings, my lord, I have news, breaking news. Tidings, my lord, the king. For the Lord has avenged you this day of all them that rose up against you. And the king said unto Cushi, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushi answered, The enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against you to do you hurt be as that young man is. In other words, he's not safe. And may anybody who dare rebel against the king May their fate be like his. And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for you. O Absalom, my son, my son. So this is the king's whole focus is the welfare of his son. And it was told Joab, Behold, the king weeps and mourns for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning. So it was good news. There was victory. But unfortunately, that day the victory was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. So this is the passage that I want us to use as a framework for understanding the gospel. Because it's one of the earliest places where gospel is used. If we were looking at this in the Septuagint, tidings would be euangelion. It would be the same word in the New Testament that's used for the gospel. But here in the Hebrew, it's the word besorah, besorah, which means glad tidings which is from the root word, basar, which means to announce good news, the announcement of good news. In the Anchor, in the, um, Anchor Bible, they say that the news is usually associated from the battlefront. So something has happened on the battle, there's been victory in the battle, and then that's where this notion of tidings from this event comes from. What I want us to notice here, and why I want to use this as a framework for the gospel, is that, first of all, the tidings are about an event. So the news is about something that has happened. There's an event. And as I said, it's typically a military victory. And this is where the notion comes from. So number one, it's, it's the announcement of the battle results. So nations are at battle. There's a result. And there's news that comes, and it's breaking news that comes as a result of the battle. Number two, the news is from someone. So it's about something, and it's from someone. The running looks like the running of Ahimaaz. Oh, he's a good man. He brings good news. So the news comes from somebody. And number three, the news is to someone. So let me go and tell the king, okay, go. 
And so I'm going to, to, I'm going to deliver the news to someone. So it's about something, it's from someone, and it's to someone. But notice that it's not good news for everyone. When, when I say I have good news, I, I have to mention as well, may the enemies of my king end up like that man. Because it was not good news for him. And it was not good news for any of his followers. And it will not be good news for anybody who rebels against my Lord the King. So when I say it's good news, it has to be to somebody. It's not good news for everybody. In dictionary.com, believe it's based on Webster's, gospel is a noun, and it means the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, the Christian revelation. That's meaning number one. Meaning number two is the story of Christ's life and teachings, especially as contained in the first four books of the New Testament. So that's the general understanding of gospel. We have to be specific. It matters a great deal. As you heard in the opening or or the scripture reading, if anybody brings any other gospel than this gospel, let him be accursed. And then Christ says, This gospel will be preached in all the world. He doesn't say any gospel. He doesn't say a gospel. He says this gospel. And as it turns out, we, upon whom the ends of the world have fallen, we must preach the gospel. So we must preach the gospel that Jesus Christ said would be preached. If we preach any other gospel, we're cursed. So this matters a great deal to us. We must get it right. Let's go to Matthew 24, where we see what Christ instructs. And in verse 11, he warns us that there will be many false teachers. That's just the way it's going to be. In the end time, the gospel will never go away. There's a true gospel. There's the true gospel. But unfortunately, it's going to get confused. And it's going to be maligned. And there's going to be many people who are teaching opposite to the true gospel. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. The work of the devil is deception. And so there is going to be this uh, blanket of deception that's going to fall all over the world. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So we are guarding against this. We're, we're, we're going to love each other with fervent love because we don't want to be infected by this disease, this virus. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. So Christ is making it very clear Conditions are going to change. You know, if you do any sort of endurance sport, it's easy to start out. Everyone looks great when we start. Whether it's a marathon. Uh, Yesterday I was in the gym, we were doing burpees for 20 minutes. Every minute you have to do 10 burpees. And uh, everybody looks great starting out. By the time you get into the 15th round, the 16th round, people want to check out. It's not how we start. 
And it's as conditions change, will we endure to the end. So Christ is making it very clear that this path that we're on, I I hope everybody's comfortable today. Quite hot outside. We have nice air conditioning, nice comfortable seats, and we're dressed to our liking. This is not the context within which Christ is speaking. So everybody can talk whatever they want to talk in times of comfort. What Christ is saying is, it's going to get really, really uncomfortable for you. Hang on, because there's good news. Verse 14. As it gets really, really uncomfortable, the heat turns up. The cardiovascular system begins to fail. And we're just hanging on. This gospel, this gospel, not any gospel, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. So when it gets really, really uncomfortable, somebody, somebody's, the body of Christ is without care. The body of Christ is without concern. And the body of Christ is without apology. And the body of Christ is preaching this gospel. And the heat is going way up. This becomes, I think George Orwell said, in times of great deception, speaking the truth becomes, a, 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 what did he say? I think it, a, an act of rebellion, something like that. That when this heats up, this gospel, this news becomes problematic on pain of death. And yet there is a group that endures and says, I will not back down from preaching this gospel. So in the context of it becoming very, very uncomfortable, this gospel shall be preached in all the world. So we will have this ability to go through all the world, and we're preaching it to the world. Remember, the gospel is from someone, and it's to someone. But in this case, it's preached in all the world. It's preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. All nations must hear this gospel. They don't have to do anything with it, but they have to hear it so that they are without excuse. We are involved in a very dramatic court case. And everybody will be brought to trial. And there will be evidence in the trial that they heard the gospel. And then they did whatever they did. But they heard this gospel. And then shall the end come. So what is this good news? This very specific good... Christ was not um, general. He didn't say, it's going to get really bad. But you know what? There'll be lots of different types of good news. He says it's going to get really bad, But this good news is still going to be preached, no matter what. The context for this is in Matthew 23. And and it's a a real shame. It it is and it isn't. It's a real shame that the Bible has chapters and verses. It's a great convenience, but it's a real shame. Because we can just jump in and out of scriptures. It's just so easy. In here, out. And we lose the context. Whereas if there was no chapter and verse, 
it doesn't matter where we read in the scripture, we'd have to understand the whole book and then understand everything in the context of the book. So Matthew, the context for Matthew 24 is Matthew 23, where Jesus Christ gives the most scathing rebuke to the religious leaders. The most scathing rebuke. He's like, no holds barred. The gloves are off. And he just tells them exactly what he thinks of them. But then in verse 37, you know, King David had a love for Absalom. God has a love for Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. There's a, there's a yearning for Jerusalem. He, he, there's a longing for Jerusalem. God has chosen Jerusalem. But he now defines this Jerusalem as Jerusalem that kills the prophets and stones them which are sent unto you. This is the reality. And yet, behind that reality, he says, how often would I have gathered your children together? In other words, you don't have to go through what you're about to go through because I would have saved you. I would have gathered your children over and over even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. And that's a fascinating thing to do when you see, in fact, I was driving the other day and I saw a fox actually jump in the air to catch a bird. And I was, that's quite fascinating. But when you see a fox now go after the chicks, you'll see the chicken, the hen, gather the chicks under her wings and hide them so that the fox only now deals with the chicken and not with the chicks. And Christ is saying, I would have done this. But it's you. You, you wouldn't have it. Now, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Jerusalem's house is subject now to desolation. Their choice. Their choice. For I say unto you, you shall not see me again until you shall say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And right here, brethren, we see the formula for the gospel. And this formula is throughout the Bible. And the formula is the covenant people are subject to bad, not bad news. They're subject to desolation because of the covenant. It's an if-then covenant. If you do this, then I will do this. But if you do that, then I will do this. That's the agreement. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. So that's the agreement. And they did not do the right thing. They forsook the covenant. And so God is bound morally, legally, to carry out the punishment. But he made a covenant with Abraham that is unconditional. Because of that covenant, he is going to redeem Israel. So this whole story is about how God redeems Israel so that he can fulfill his promise to Abraham without breaking his law. And that's the whole purpose of Christ. But we see in this uh, formula of the gospel, bad, 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 bad news. Followed by the gospel. Followed by the good news. So the context here is that bad news, Israel, bad news, specifically Jerusalem, until the good news. Eventually, you're going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your God. He's going to come to redeem you, and you're going to say, blessed is he that comes. And this is the gospel, that Christ is coming to put down 
his enemies and the enemies of Israel. So if we go back to Matthew 24, verse 9, he says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. So again, he that endures to the end, we are targeted, and we shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So there's a gospel that has to go to all nations, and yet all nations will hate the messenger or the messengers of that gospel. And the gospel or or the message or the hatred is because of the sake of the name of God. So the name of God is embedded in this gospel message. That as we are bringing the gospel to all nations, we're also bringing the name of God to all nations. And they all agree, this is a hateful thing. This is hate speech. We don't want to hear this. Drop down to verse 14 again, where we see, it will be preached to all these nations as a witness. And what we're seeing here is all these nations are united. They all agree together. We could call them the United Nations. They all agree. Look at Luke 21. Where Luke gives us a little bit more information. In Matthew 23, Christ said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have looked after you. You didn't want it. And here in Luke 21 and verse 20, he says, And when you shall see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is near. He told them in Matthew 23, Your house is left unto you desolate. So now we're going, and and by the way, we're talking here specifically of Judah, right? The northern tribes of Israel have been divorced. The covenant remains intact with Judah. These people have, through the help of uh, England, they have repopulated Jerusalem. Notice I said through the help of England. I didn't say through the help of God. They have no business in Jerusalem as far as the Bible is concerned. They've rejected God, and God has rejected them. Until they acknowledge Christ, they have no business in Jerusalem. But they're there. And they're there so that this scripture can be fulfilled. They're there so that their house can be made desolate. And that's their choice. And that's the bad news. And I think it was not last week, but the week before, I think it was two weeks ago, where the U.S. ambassador, Nikki Haley, announced that the United States has withdrawn from the United Nations Human Rights Council. And here's an excerpt from her speech. She gave it on June 19th. She began talking about how she saw bullying as a child and always hated bullying. And then she says here, this idea has always been with me since I was a child. But I didn't think it would come to play in the United Nations. It turns out bullying is a common practice in the UN. In the real world, Israel, we understand as Judah, 
is a strong country with a vibrant economy and a first-class military. On the battlefield, Israel does not get bullied. The Iranians and the Syrians can vouch for that. So Israel is like a lion on the battlefield. But the UN is a different story. At the UN and throughout the UN agencies, Israel does get bullied. It gets bullied because the countries that don't like Israel are used to being able to get away with it. Well, just like when I was that little girl in South Carolina, that just doesn't sit well with me. As many of you know, one of the UN agencies with the worst track record of Israel bias is UNESCO. Among many other ridiculous things, UNESCO has the outrageous distinction of attempting to change ancient history. UNESCO recently declared one of Judaism's holiest sites, the Tome of the Patriarchs, as a Palestinian heritage site in need of protection from Israel. That was enough. Ten months into this administration, the United Nations withdrew from UNESCO. So she goes on just to show how hypocritical the United Nations is. And of course, we understand the United Nations is run by the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. So the United Nations is basically becoming fully Islamic with an intense hatred for Israel and an intense hatred for Jerusalem. And so we're going to see these armies authorized by the United Nations to go into Jerusalem. All the nations are united in their hatred for Jerusalem. And history is being rewritten that uh, the Tome of the Patriarchs needs to be protected from the, the Israelis. So she goes on to say how she will not stand for this hypocrisy and bullying. Let's go to Zechariah 12. All of this is happening now. It's all taking shape. What we need to do is just connect the dots. Zechariah 12 and verse 1. Remember, the gospel is from someone, it's to someone, and it's about something. Who's it to? Zechariah 12, verse 1. This is the gospel. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel. It's not for everybody, it's for Israel, says the Lord, which stretched forth the heavens and lays the foundations of the earth and laid the foundations of the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. The United Nations are going to tremble over Jerusalem when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. In other words, when they move in to attack Jerusalem, that's when God moves in. And this is the gospel. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, the United Nations. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it, so all the nations agree, we must gather against Jerusalem. But God says, I'm for Jerusalem. I would have gathered them under my wings. They're the ones who wouldn't cooperate. But even though they wouldn't cooperate, don't be deceived. I have not forsaken Jerusalem. And in the context of this international, global hatred, 
somebody has good news for Jerusalem. Somebody has good news for Israel. And it, it becomes hate speech, but somebody doesn't care. Somebody says, we have to deliver this good news. In that day, says the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment. So new, the good news is about a battle and the outcome of the battle. And here's the battle. I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. And I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah and I will smite every horse of the people with blindness, the United Nations. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength. In the Lord of hosts, their God. Remember he said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So the question I hope you're asking is, yeah, but is this the gospel that Christ preached? Because within those four books of the, the gospel messages, Christ says this gospel. So it should be found in his preaching. Well, let's go to Luke 4 to see Christ's gospel. In Luke 4, Christ has conquered the devil. And in beginning in verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went a, out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was... He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the scroll, he found the place where it was written. So it's not like our Bible where you can just jump in and out of scriptures. He has to read the scroll and he knows the whole context, but he's trying to find a particular passage. When he finds that passage, he begins to read. And when he had opened the scroll and he found the place where it was written, this is in Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember, the gospel is from somebody. It's to somebody and it's about something. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news, the euangelion, the good news to who? To the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the scroll, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. So he went straight to that scripture in Isaiah and then explained to them, This has been fulfilled. What, what does he mean? And this is a scripture that is it's quoted a lot and it's misquoted a lot. In fact, I wish there was a system I could set up where every time somebody quotes this scripture, a dollar goes into my bank account. I would be rich. 
we need to be very careful about who he's talking about, what he's talking about. So he is quoting Isaiah, but before we go to Isaiah, go to Luke 1. So he says, this, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the one who's anointed to preach the gospel. In Luke 1 and verse 31, And behold, Mary, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and I want you to call his name God Saves. That's who you're going to have, God Saves. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So this is all part of the good news, that he's going to be given this throne. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob for a couple of years. Forever. Jacob is forever. That's good news. All these armies are going to surround Jerusalem. History is being rewritten so that the, the, the patriarchs belong to the Palestinians and need to be protected from the Jews. And we need to destroy the Jews and get rid of them. And God says he's the God of Jacob forever. So Jacob is forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Verse 52. He has put down the mighty from their seats. So good news is not good news for everybody. It's good news for some. It's really bad news for others. He's put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So if you're rich in Rome at this time, it's because you're corrupt. And so the rich, the corrupt, are going to be sent away empty. If you're righteous, you're, you're suffering under this system. But he's filled the hungry with good things. He has helped his servant Israel. So he's very clear. God saves Israel. He's come to save Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. So this, this operation that God is involved in has to do with him remembering his mercy according to the scriptures that were given to Abraham and his seed forever. In Revelation, we don't turn there, but in verse uh, 7 of chapter 1, he says, Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. So it's specific. They have to say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And then it says, And all tribes of the earth, all the kindred of the earth, will wail because of him. They went the wrong way. They all agree together. All nations agree to destroy Jerusalem, to destroy Israel, to fight against those who are bringing the good news. And then when he comes, they all wail. because They, they, they all see him, and they realize how wrong they were. So good news is not good news for everyone. Uh, in Matthew, we won't go there, but uh, with John's disciples, when John wasn't sure if Christ was the Messiah, Christ didn't answer right away. He did certain things. And then he told the disciples to tell John what they saw. And he says in 11.5, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, 
the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Go and tell John these things. This is what you've seen. Because John knows Isaiah. And so when he sees these things happening, which are a foretaste of the kingdom, that's what the messenger is doing. He's giving a foretaste of what's coming, when, what's coming for Israel when the kingdom comes. And so all these things that he did, he did not do these for the Gentiles. He did all of this specifically for Israel as a foretaste of the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom, the good news that's coming to Israel. And he knew that John knew Isaiah, and uh, he, would, he would see that. So let's, um, let's go to Isaiah. And again, it's all about context. Christ is quoting Isaiah 61. You'll pardon me, I'm just going to take my jacket off. Christ is quoting Isaiah 61. But for context, let's go to Isaiah 60 and and read into 61 so that we have the context, so that we can understand why Christ quoted that passage. In Isaiah 60, beginning in verse 10, And the sons of strangers, that is the Gentiles, that is all the nations that agree together to hate Israel, all of these nations shall build up your walls, Israel. And their kings, their mighty ones, shall serve you. For in my wrath I smote you. We saw that wrath prophesied in in Matthew 23. In my wrath I smote you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. So it's bad news followed by good news. Therefore your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut night nor day, day nor night, that men may bring unto you the wealth of the Gentiles. So all these nations that hated you, they're going to bring their wealth to you. And that their kings may be brought. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. So the United Nations, they all agree together. But if they don't repent, they will perish. Yeah, those nations shall be utterly wasted. The glory of Lebanon, Muslim country now, shall come to you. The fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together. They're going to bring all their wealth to you. They're going to acknowledge that your God is God. To beautify the place of my sanctuary. So remember when Solomon was building up his sanctuary, all the wealth from the surrounding nations came to him so he could build the sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. So there's a place for God's feet on the earth, and that place will be glorious. The sons also of them that afflicted you shall come bending unto you. There's a hatred for Israel, but there's going to be a wholesale repentance. And all they that despised you, and there's so many of them, all they that despised you, there's this thing in us that how dare God choose an ethnic people? Especially if it's not me. If it's me, wonderful idea. And then what happens is I become arrogant and think I'm better than everybody else and I don't understand why God chose my ethnic group. But if it's not my ethnic group, what a terrible idea. What a racist idea. It's God's idea. And it's God's idea to bless the whole world. 
All they that despised you shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. That's who God is. He's the Holy One of Israel. And all these nations that hate Israel, that think that Israel has to be destroyed, they're now going to say, God is the God of Israel. He's the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you had been forsaken and hated, all nations hated you, so that no man went through you. You were despised. I, God, will make you what? An eternal excellency. This is the good news. You'll be made an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. You shall also suck the milk of the Gentiles and shall suck the breast of kings. All the wealth is going to flow to you. And you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer. This is the good news. The Mighty One of Jacob. For brass, I will bring gold. So it's an upgrade. For iron, I will bring silver. And for wood, brass. And for stones, iron. So this place is going to stand apart from the rest of the world. I will also make your officers peace and your exactors righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Meaning, it's nothing but violence between now and Christ's return. But soon, the good news is, violence will no more be heard in your land, wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. So it will be known as salvation and praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto you, but the Lord shall be unto you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, neither shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. This is the good news. Your people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. So God is glorified in Israel when this happens. And this is the good news. A little one shall become a thousand, a a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. This is the context of Isaiah 61. And this is what Christ was quoting in Luke 4. with With an understanding that the people who he's speaking to are educated. And we're not necessarily educated. They would be educated. They would understand. They would have to read the scroll to get here as well. They wouldn't know it as Isaiah 61. They would just know it in this context of the time of Israel's glory. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So Israel is brokenhearted. And he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives. Israel has been taken captive. Israel is despised and hated and enslaved. And this messenger is coming to tell Israel liberty and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. So we can expect to see uh, slavery engaged in and and Israel being taken captive. So this whole uh, weaponized migration where we're seeing human beings of military age, fighting age, going into all the Israelite nations 
and there's an endless supply of them and an overturning of the Israelite nations. When it's time to be taken slaves, who's going to fight for Israel? Israel is completely demoralized. And here's the good news. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn all over the world. Because the gospel is good news for everybody. So we should appoint unto them that mourn in the world. Good news. Scripture doesn't say that. Good news is to somebody. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. It's good news for Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes. So Zion is going to be ashes. And God is going to replace it with beauty. He's going to totally upgrade it. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So there's just this from bad news to good news. That they might be called trees of righteousness in the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. So all these nations that hated Jerusalem are going to become the servants in Jerusalem. And the sons of the alien shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. God is serious. God has made a covenant with Abraham. And he does, he, he's going to punish them for their wickedness. But he, he's chosen them for redemption. And the Gentiles are going to have to serve and acknowledge that God is the God of Israel. Why? Because this is their purpose in the earth. And he tells us that in verse 6. You shall be named the priests of the Lord. That's the whole purpose. They weren't chosen because God thinks they're better than everybody else. They weren't chosen because God looked at human beings and said, I like the way these people look. He chose them because Abraham believed him. And he said, okay, through Abraham, I'm going to bring salvation to the world. But I need a nation of priests that will facilitate salvation so you shall be named the priests of the lord men shall call you the ministers of our god you shall eat the riches of the gentiles so they'll come with their offerings and in their glory shall you boast yourselves so in facilitating their salvation as they become glorified this will be the boast of the priests of the lord for your shame you shall have double honor so Israel will be shamed, Judah will be shamed, but God is going to replace that shame with twice the honor. And for confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. The good news is to somebody. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering. And I will direct their work in truth. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles. So all these Gentiles that hate Israel, they hate what God is doing, they hate the God of Israel, their seed shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them that they are the seed which the Lord has blessed. God hasn't blessed everybody. He's blessed these people. Hebrews 3.
Hebrews 3 and verse 18. Speaking of Israel, and to whom did he swear that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear. So this is what happened to them, the fathers. Let's take that under advisement and let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us, the same way they, a promise was, was to them, that promise now carries over to us, the same way they did not inherit the promise, we better fear, lest the promise, the promise being left to us of entering in his, into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. That was a real danger. That the same way they failed because of unbelief, any of us could fail because of unbelief. For unto us was the gospel preached. We heard the gospel as well as unto them. So the gospel cannot be something new. It can't be a different gospel. Because Paul is telling us the gospel was preached to us, but the same gospel was preached to them. But the word, the gospel that was preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So when we say the gospel, it better be something that the fathers heard. Otherwise, it's not the same gospel. What did the fathers hear? Let's go to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. The gospel was preached to them. The same gospel that's preached to us. What is this gospel? Exodus 19, verse 5. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my commandments, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. That God wants a nation of priests and kings that will facilitate the salvation of mankind. And that was the purpose of Israel. And this was the gospel that they are to come into the holy land, come into this land that's promised to them to function as king priests for the rest of the world. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. So the promise, the gospel was preached unto them as it was preached unto us, but they didn't believe it. So we must therefore fear, lest we don't believe it either. It's the same gospel. God is looking for this nation of king priests. And that's why after all the four gospels, when you come into Acts, the apostles ask Christ, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because the kingdom is Israel's. God always wanted to establish the kingdom in Israel. I just want to shorten this a bit. But uh, Matthew 24, we'd go back there and he would say that, um, for my name's sake, you'll be hated. We're not going to go back there, but remember he says, uh, you'll be hated for my name's sake. What is his name? Look at Ezekiel uh, 36. Ezekiel 36 and verse 20. And when they entered unto the heathen, 
where they went, this is what the fathers did when they went into the heathen land, they profaned my holy name. So they took God's holy name with them, and the heathen knew them by this name, and they profaned it. When they said to them, these are the people of the Lord, and are gone forth out of his land. But I had pity for my holy name. So God is acting to preserve his name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen where they went. So he's going to do this, and the next verse you'll see, he's going to do this. I do this, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. What is this holy name? Look at Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47, what is this name? For my name's sake, you will be hated. So we're going to take this gospel all over the world. And we can be here in Burlington proclaiming the gospel all over the world through technology. But it has to be the right gospel. It has to be this gospel. And it's because of his name's sake that we are hated. What is his name? Isaiah 47 and verse 4. As for our Redeemer, someone needs redeeming. Somebody's been enslaved and needs to be purchased. That's Israel. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name. There's a host that he's the Lord of, the Holy One of Israel. And if you have an electronic Bible and you search that term, the Holy One of Israel, God uses it repeatedly to refer to himself, that he will be known as the Holy One of Israel forever, that his glory is in the name Israel, that he's made promises to Israel, and he rejoices in fulfilling the word that he's made, the promise that he's made to Israel. And so someone comes along to say he's the Holy One of Israel, and that name gets us hated. The United Nations hate, it's like it, they just get deranged when they hear the name Israel. And we say, he is the Holy One of Israel forever. So you could do that search, um, but just very quickly, look at Isaiah 41. Verse 14. Fear not, don't be afraid, you worm Jacob and you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And you'll see this repeatedly through Isaiah, through Jeremiah, Ezekiel. God is the God of Israel. I will um, forego showing you all of the scriptures, or at least a few of them, that just show that he's the Redeemer of Israel. Israel, the Holy One of Israel. What I want to do in the time we have left in terms of understanding this gospel is go to Ezekiel 37. So the gospel is not something new. The prophets preach the gospel. 
the fathers had the gospel preached to them. It's that same gospel that we have. They heard it, we've heard it. Now we preach it. Ezekiel 37 and verse 20. And the sticks were on you right shall be in your hand before their eyes. And say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen. So first bad news, then good news. The bad news is the children of Israel are going to be enslaved. They're going to be slaughtered. They're going to be enslaved. The good news is God has not forgotten Israel. He's going to redeem Israel. I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen where they have gone and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. This is the gospel. There's land that's promised to Israel. God is going to come to that land. He's going to dwell with Israel. And it will, they, they will, it will be known as the whole, he'll be known as the Holy One of Israel. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all. This is the gospel. And they shall be no more two nations. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. So the northern tribes don't know who they are anymore. They've lost their identity. At least Judah knows who they are, but they think they're all Israel. We have to say to them, no, you're one tribe of the 12 tribes. Or you could say two tribes of the 12 tribes, Israel, uh, Judah and Benjamin. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places, not just Judah, Israel. And as we see the nations of Israel collapsing, this is all part of the desolation. But then God is going to act to redeem Israel and Judah and make them one nation. I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. So, this, in this way, shall they be my people. That's, that's the gospel. That there will be a nation of God's people and I will be their God. And then they will facilitate, they will be the priesthood. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. Remember, Christ is going to inherit David's throne. And they shall all have one shepherd and shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob. So they're in the land now, or some of them are in the land now. God does not want them there until they repent. So they're going to be exiled from the land, which is the ter that's part of the condition of the uh, covenant. But when they repent, that land is promised to Israel, not to the Palestinians, to Israel. They shall, God, so says God, they shall dwell in the land. doesn't matter what the United Nations say. doesn't matter what they all have. They can pass as many resolutions as they like. God says they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever. Forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. Not with the Gentiles. With them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. The gospel. My tabernacle also shall be with them. 
Yes, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And we know that the, the plan is for all the Gentiles to come into Jerusalem, for all the Gentiles to come into Israel. This is the mechanism through which God saves the world. This is the good news. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel. They don't know now. They have convinced themselves that the God of Israel is not God, that their God is God. And they've not just themselves, they've convinced all nations. All nations agree with them and sympathize with them. In fact, we just had in Canada 300 academics sign a petition delivered to Justin Trudeau to side with the Palestinians and condemn Israel. So this is going to happen all over the world, that the Palestinian cause is going to be the common cause. And they don't know God, but God is promising us good news, that the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, the God of the universe, I have sanctified Israel. When my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever, forevermore. So this is the gospel. And this is the gospel that we must preach. And it's not going to be popular. This gospel message that God is the God of Israel will get us killed. There's that much hatred. That's why he says, for my name's sake. And he says to the church in Ephesus that you've you've born and you've uh, been patient and you've labored for my name's sake. And God says that's a good attribute. So to, to all the churches, we must understand the good attributes. And one of the good attributes is to care about God's name. To be offended when God's name is violated. And to take a stand for God's name. And that's part of this gospel message, that God is a God of his word, and that when he makes promises, he fulfills them. And so this is what we have to preach. Let's conclude in Isaiah 40. So what you were thinking in terms of what is the gospel, no doubt you were right. The gospel incorporates many things. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's about the resurrection. It's about eternal life. But it's specific. It's from somebody. Christ has been the one anointed to bring the good news. We are his body. The good news comes from Christ. The gospel is to someone. He said to Jerusalem, you won't see me again until you say, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. So bad news for you, but it will be followed by good news. So the good news is to somebody. We have to preach it in all nations. He says this gospel will be preached in all the world, but it's not good news for them. All, all the tribes of the earth will wail. When Christ returns, they are so wrong and they will not realize it until Christ returns. So his return, it's good news for those of us who love his appearing. It's really, really bad news for the world. The same way it was bad news for Absalom. The world will be like Absalom. And may all the enemies of my Lord be as that young man. And it's about something. It's about a military conquest. When the kingdoms of this world 
become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. Isaiah 40. Let's conclude here. Isaiah 40 and verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. This God, the God of these scriptures, he doesn't abrogate his word. He speaks, and the thing that he speaks will be performed. Opposition notwithstanding. The grass can wither, the flower can fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, the gospel is from somebody, and it's to someone. Zion is Israel infused with the Spirit. And all Gentiles who receive the Spirit are grafted into Israel. We are all Zion that have the Spirit. O Zion that brings the gospel. We bring the gospel. Get you up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, again, this is the, uh, the church, Israel infused with the Spirit, that brings good news. So in all of this bad news, somebody knows what's going on. Somebody's able to interpret all of this and say, this is actually very good news. O Jerusalem, that brings good news, lift up your voice with strength. Don't back down. Don't be a coward. Don't let their upset speech and faces cause you to back down from this glorious message that we bring. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. They hate you. And don't take it personally. They hate Israel. Because God has chosen Israel. And the devil has just stirred them up to hate God's plan. How dare God choose a specific ethnic group? What on earth was he thinking? Unless it's my group, then I think it's a fantastic idea. We just have to get rid of God and just focus on me. So whether it's the group themselves or everybody else, this thing has disastrous consequences. People cannot handle it. That God has chosen an ethnic group. And through that ethnic group, he's going to save the whole world. It's good news. And somebody gets it. And somebody's able to bring good news with strength, without fear, without apology. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Who's the good news to? Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. This is the gospel. It's not for everybody. It's for Israel. And specifically, the cities of Judah. In the end time, when there is such bad news that's coming upon them, somebody's able to say, Behold, your God. So that they can say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. And his arm shall rule for him. He's going to put down. This is going to be powerful. This is going to be a wholesale slaughter. All the nations agree with all of their firepower to get rid of the name Israel. And we say, behold, the Lord God will come, just as Zechariah saw, with strong hand. 
and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work, this strange work before him. This is breaking news, and this is the gospel. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org. Thank you.